Welcome to the Cab Appropriate Podcast. I'm your host, Cliff Harvey. This song don't give a damn. Yeah. If the rhymes don't fit with the DJ, quit. Yeah. This song don't give a damn. Yeah. You can't sing or dance to it, can't romance to it. This song ain't arrogant. Uh. If you don't try and buy it, or if your radio denies it, don't care about what, who got, what's cool on TV, or what spots hot, I forgot. Yeah. I ain't mad at evolution. For revolution, get up. Enough is enough. Hey, somebody stand up. Come on, get up. Stand up. Get up. Stand up. Get up. Stand up. All right, Michelle. How you doing? I'm good. How are you, Michelle Yandel, health coach extraordinaire. Thank you. How are you doing? All right. Pretty good. Hey, I, I realized that we've, we've actually done a podcast before and yeah. I think we talked about a whole bunch of different stuff. That was quite a while back though. That was a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. I'm spoiled. Yeah, well, you know, you, you deserve it. Um, for people listening in who, who didn't listen to that podcast or maybe aren't that aware of what you do, I'm sure there's not many of those around. Um, do you want to give people the elevator pitch of, of your background and what it is that you do? Yeah, so I am, I guess I have a few few different titles, but essentially I am a health and nutrition coach. So I practice, uh, I'm based in Taranaki, but pretty much all over New Zealand because I'm, I'm predominantly online as far as my services go. But uh, my big thing is helping people to have a healthy relationship with food. So coaching uh, in that area of, you know, good health, but also a good healthy relationship. Um, with what they're eating and, and sort of helping them through that. So a lot of, um, yeah, health coaching is pretty much the best way to describe what I do, I would say. Just pro- probably apt because that's what I wanted to talk about today. Okay. <laughs> um, but you, you've got lots on at the moment. You've been doing lots of traveling. You've got a new book out. Um, what, what's, yeah. what's going on for you at the moment? Yeah, I've got a lot on. We were just um, we were talking about that briefly, weren't we? So I, I do, uh, I have a, a fourth book that's out at the moment, all about uh, what's called gentle nutrition and this idea of trying to get more of the things that make you feel good and focusing on how can I get more veggies, how can I get, um, you know, try new things and get more variety into my diet and how to get more whole foods without demonizing anything else. So it's sort of this balanced approach of looking at nutrition and then really just getting back to basics because there's, um, you know, a lot of confusion. And I think people, if they can just master the basics, as you know, you and I have spoke about many times, uh, they'd be, you know, more than halfway there. So that's the, the idea of gentle nutrition. And yeah, I've, I mean, I'm still, I, I work with a, a company based in Wellington, uh, Mellon Health, and I do lots of traveling for them and just supporting them with their uh, emotional wellness and um, metabolic health programs. And I'm taking a lot of courses at the moment, I'm doing a bit of studying and intuitive eating, as well as uh, redefining my, my coaching and getting a bit of a practice with that. And that's just, yeah, that's the bulk of it. I mean, then there's all the, the day-to-day stuff on top of that, as you know. So <laughs> courses and uh, programs and coaching and, and building up uh, what's soon to be the Empowered Eating uh, Center, which is going to be an online clinic and education center all around that the concept of empowered eating. So that's a watch this space thing. Fantastic. I, I love those, um, you know, those sort of concepts and philosophies that you've put together from, I know we talked about empowered eating 
mm. years ago at mm. a little cafe in Parnell and what, what you were actually going to eventually call it and all that kind of stuff. And now you've sort of got that idea of gentle nutrition, which I think is, is so powerful in and of itself anyway, because, you know, as you mentioned, so many people demonize certain foods and that they end up demonizing themselves, really. I mean, mm. by demonizing foods, we end up demonizing ourselves. We take on the guilt and the shame and all those types of things. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was talking about this on a podcast just a couple of days ago. I was asked a question about, you know, is it okay to sort of just try a couple of things out? And I said, of course it's okay <laughs> to try some things out. I think we've lost yeah. the, the value in experimentation when it comes to, yeah. to nutrition. Yeah. You know, because people want to have the perfect diet. They want to have the cleanest diet. They want to find this sort of perfect ideal for them. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that's just, it's never going to happen. You know, yeah. I, I've been interested in nutrition for probably 25 years. I've been practicing nutrition for 22, 23 years. I'm still playing around with ideas. I yeah. still haven't figured it out, but it's not as if I'm worried about that. It's, it's fun to try new things and see how you can get improvements. Mm. Your goals change anyway, so your nutrition has to change from time to time. When we change, our body changes, and what works for us <laughs> when we're 20 may not work for us when we're 42. You know? So, yeah, it's, it, experimentation is a big part of what I call empowered eating, and, and it's just this, you know, try it out. Be curious. Look at everything from a curious perspective and you know, does that bread roll make you feel yuck? You know, you don't know until you should just try it in a, in a, you know, a, a sort of a setting that's not based on fear and worry about it and thinking it's a ticking time bomb, you know, just sort of being curious and going, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. I do feel kind of sluggish and I do feel a bit tired or it might be like, hot damn, I feel great. Like maybe yeah. I could do this again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting idea, and I think you, you tend to, from my opinion anyway, in my opinion, tend to ride that line extremely well between having tactics that work versus having sort of an overriding concept of freedom mm. and being empowered with, with your choices. Is that a difficult line to ride because I know in the industry it seems like we have a lot of polarization we've got people who basically say hey do whatever you want just to to feel good mm. which I think is probably a little bit self-limiting and you've got other people who say well no you've got to be really strict and you have to abide by all these rules and you've got to track things and all this kind of stuff but there is some middle ground how do you sort of work with that and how do you manage to ride that line so well um the big thing for me I think is turning it from uh relearning how to listen to your body because a lot of people have lost an ability to even recognize hunger and fullness or you know it's not easy for some people just to go that made me feel good or that made me feel bad but it can be something that I believe you can relearn and I yeah. think that's sort of the crux of it is sort of relearning to bring in that attunement and that awareness and that mindfulness when we're eating so that you know, we get a better idea of whether that does feel good or not feel good. And, and looking at feel good now or feel good long term or feel good later today and, and more. Because, I mean, you right. might have you could eat an entire cake and probably for about five minutes, you might feel great. But not long after, you're not going to feel so good. So, <laughs> you know, we can look at different things like that as well. But I, I do think there is a lot of uh, black or white thinking on both sides, like you say, a lot of, um, you know, 
everything's bad on that end and everything's bad on that end. But I think the gray area is sort of where the magic can happen. And then that's where that really just listening to your body and but learning how to listen to your body. Like say, you can't just jump in it and expect to be the expert, but you can relearn it, I think. And that's what I really want to teach people to do is just be able to be a bit more in tune. Yeah. It's really interesting you say that because that, um, we, we often find these points of uh, similarity, I think. I wrote years ago in a book, actually I reiterated the theme a little bit in the credo recently, but it was the idea of um, a new type of eudaemonism. And I, I, you've studied philosophy, right? So you, you probably know that there's sort of term eudaemonism from Aristotelian ethics and whatnot, uh, which is that idea that there's virtue and happiness. And I sort of took that to its extreme to mean that, that the razor by which we can live is basically the, the things that create the, the greatest happiness overall are probably the most important things. Mm. But people then misconstrue that into what you were saying, which is it's, it's transient joy. Mm. You know, so I'm going to just load up on a whole bunch of sugar and feel great for a couple of minutes. And, and that's fine. Mm. Unless it makes me feel terrible for, for days kind of thing. And then you've got to kind of look at, well, where's the balance there? And yeah. it's not a, it's not in any way a guilt or shaming thing. It's just purely being kind of objective about it. Mm. And I kind of, yeah. sorry, Michelle, go on. I was saying, just being in charge of those decisions, you know, and, and like yeah. I said, it's um, not about demonizing anybody because ultimately it's none of my business what you eat or whoever else eats. If you come to me for help, I can support you. But yeah. otherwise it isn't, it isn't anybody's business. And whether you're a skinny person or a larger person eating a burger, that's not my business. And so, yeah, it's, um, but you know, if you are feeling awful and you feel really stuck or you're feeling out of control around food or that's sort of the things that I want to help people with because they don't feel good and they, they're asking for some help. But if they're not asking for help, we're not there to judge them. They can, they can be unhealthy. They can be healthy. It's not my, my body. I, I love that. I hope people had an epiphanical moment there, just like brain explosions because you know, when you said it's none of my business what you eat, that's probably something that we should all be very aware of in this <laughs> modern world because there's so much criticism and judgment. Yeah. When really it has nothing to do with anyone else, what someone else chooses to do. And I think because we identify, we often identify so strongly with what we're doing, it's almost seen as an implied criticism when someone's doing something different. But, you know, we should probably stick to our knitting and just do what makes us happy. <laughs> I mean, I can understand if a smoker is next to me blowing smoke into my face. That's a problem for me. I don't like that. Absolutely. But he's way over there having a cigarette. I mean, that's none of my business. If he wants me to help him quit smoking, I, you know, I can support him with that. But, you know, yeah. it is. And the same with food. But we do put a lot of um, shame even maybe in our own minds on, on what other people are eating. Like you say, it could be based on what we're doing with ourselves or I don't know, but it is, it's, it's, it's none of your business. <laughs> I guess there are public health implications that affect us all, but even having said that, having, you know, a perspective of, of guilting or shaming someone else, that's Never. not going to help them to change. Never works. Exactly. So <laughs> that, that brings us to health coaching really. Yeah. Because, you know, you said, you know, you're a health coach, you obviously, um, are probably at that pointy end of the the top level of health coaches, I'd say now, and you're developing courses to teach other people how to do it, all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. 
why did you really gravitate towards that? Was it something that you found almost accidentally or did you really mesh with that or was that something you really wanted to push into? Yeah, I mean, I, I've wanted to get into helping people to be healthier and to feel good for as long as I can remember. I mean, and for me, I mean, this is a whole different conversation that stemmed from, again, from my own experiences and being a yo-yo dieter and all of that sort of thing. And so I wanted to help other people to feel healthy and, and yada, yada. But I've always had that, that inclination of wanting to help people. I guess I've always been a bit of an activist and always wanted people to just, you know, if they want help, I wanted to be that person to help them. And so that's sort of where health coaching came along because I mean, I, I sort of had these core beliefs about myself that I could never be a dietitian or I could never be a nutritionist because I can't do chemistry and I can't do that. You know, these core beliefs you have as a child. So I thought, well, I could do a health coaching <laughs> because I don't need to have a chem background for that or whatever it was at the time that I was thinking it. But uh, I did actually stumble across it because in some ways, because it was my mom who, who mentioned it to me. She'd seen an article about a coaching school in the United States and mention it to me knowing that I was unhappy in my current job which was school teaching and so I looked into it and you know sort of way this way that and just sort of took the plunge and that was probably seven years ago now and I left teaching and now I'm doing you know health and nutrition and coaching full-time pretty much and and I love it and it was that idea that you know I noticed that even when I was first started out as a, as a health coach um, I was doing a lot of, of meal plans and I was doing a lot of that sort of thing, which ultimately now looking back on that, that was potentially not what health coaching was about. But I started to notice that, you know, people would do great on these, these plans and they were losing weight and they were feeling fabulous, but then they would disappear. They'd fall off the radar. They'd self-sabotage. All these things would happen. So that's when it got really important to start digging deeper and asking those important questions and start to sort of look at the, you know, why and what's going on, what are the triggers? And, and that's sort of where this health coaching really became so much more important because it is about asking those important questions and, you know, working with them and supporting them from a compassionate standpoint, as opposed to eat this off you go, um, which, you know, isn't something that everybody's going to do, <laughs> but health coaching really helped. I think in lots of ways to just, yeah, get to the sort of the core um, values and the things that were, were preventing them from achieving what they wanted to achieve. So I know people listening in will be thinking, well, that all sounds great, but what, what the heck is health coaching? <laughs> because, you know, I like a lot of people because it's a relatively new phenomenon, I think. You know, I, I've sort of seen these things develop. I know they've been around for quite a while, but in terms of reaching some level of prominence, it's really but it only been the last couple of years where it's it's been a big movement in medicine and in nutrition. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think, like me, a lot of people just see health coaches often as being underqualified nutritionists. Yeah. But um, it's it's probably not the case, right? Because health coaching is a distinct yeah practice so what is health coaching and why does it differ or how does it differ from other types of clinical health practice yes yeah, so i mean they to be fair there are some people out there who are you know self-appointed health coaches who are potentially you know working out of their scope and they might have you know taken a, a course that goes along with an mlm company that took maybe three weeks and now they're a health coach and 
you know, so there's, there are some differences, but a, a, a registered certified health coach is a far different story. And like, say they, they are, uh, you know, they're not here to replace nutritionists. They're not here to replace dietitians or any type of practitioner. They are there to support. It's almost like a, a team, you know, um, it could be that somebody is potentially working with a therapist, but also working with a health coach to walk alongside them. So for me, when I think of a health coach, it's somebody who is unlocking somebody's inner motivations um, so that they are feeling empowered and that they are taking those proactive steps, but somebody who's also going to walk alongside them along the way. Uh, so, you know, they are skilled at asking the right questions to unlock that hidden motivation that they potentially didn't even know was there, you know? Yeah. And so compared to say like a, a traditional approach, you know, again, I picture this going to see a potentially a doctor or a dietitian or somebody, and they might say, you've got, I'll just throw this out. You've got um, diabetes. You, this is what you need to eat. Off you go and eat it. Um, as opposed to a health coach would be more likely to take information like that and support that person in actually making it happen. So they are a great team, the three of them the therapist or the dietitian or the doctor or anybody in a health coach can all work together to help this person achieve success. So it's more with health coaching, you're focusing more on the patient being the expert as opposed to you being the expert. Yeah. So you may be an expert in some things, but during a traditional coaching session, um, you're interweaving this with this approach that sees the uh, the patient as the expert. Mm. So they're the expert in their own life. You know, they are the ones that know what their budget's like, what their lifestyle's like, what they will do, what they won't do, you know, and the health coach can help guide them through that. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. So to, to sort of paraphrase, would, would it be fair to say that a health coach is really there to facilitate a process in which the client discovers their own goals and their own path to those goals rather than telling someone what they need to do and how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's more about asking, you know, them, what are some things that you would like to achieve rather than saying, here are the things I want you to achieve. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's about, and, and assessing, you know, their answers as well with them and going, well, how, let's say, how likely is that to happen? And considering you know you've told me that you're very busy is it feasible do you think that you can do those 60 minutes a day of cardio or whatever it may be um so it's really brainstorming and being that person to to help create goals that are going to actually work um and asking those like the right questions like i said and discovering the right goals i, I think that's a yeah, yeah. that's a big part of what i saw in in studying health coaching a little bit hmm but also something that meshed with just the things that you learn work mm. over time, right? As a, as a good practitioner, mm. often clients come to us with particular goals. <clears throat> and when we start to explore a little bit more, they don't actually want to achieve those goals. They have an idea of something that they want in their life and they think that might mesh with it. Or perhaps they were lacking direction and they were in that mindset. I often talk about it with clients in this respect of, well, we have a directionless feeling. So we think, what could I do? And then mm -hmm. the first thing we think of that we could do, we attach to. 
but it's not necessarily the thing that's the best thing for us to do. And so often um, I, I find in that sort of coaching process, it's a matter of just stepping back a little bit and evaluating, you know, why are you doing this? Yep. Why do you want to do that? What does it mean? What's the context of it all? What would that mean to your life? You know, yep. now how does that work with the goals you've set? Do they need to shift now? So it's about sort of finding the why and the right goals, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And aligning it with their values and, and everything else. That, that That's a huge part of it. I mean, that why most people will come to us potentially and say, I want to lose weight. And that may be something that they've heard from somebody or it could be something that they in fact want to do. But that in itself may not be a motivator. It sounds, you know, they always sort of kind of laugh or look at me funny when I say, well, why do you want to lose weight? And it's well, obvious. I mean, doesn't everybody want to lose weight? And, you know, but actually come to find out that it's more to do with feeling confident or it's more to do with, um, you know, having the energy to play with their grandkids or, you know, to be able to go and travel without any um, pain. There's all these different reasons that are actually a lot more compelling than that initial, what they thought. And so a health coach will help them to unlock that, that why so that it's something that's faced with their, aligns with their values and, and then quite motivating, you know, and then the, yeah. the things start to roll. Yeah. And that, that's such an important thing that you just said about it being compelling mm. because, you know, we even know from the studies of behavioral change and neuropsychology and um, psycho neurophysiology, all those various things that when we really envision the, the context of what will be, that helps to make it a lot safer for us to actually achieve mm. as compared to saying, well, I want to lose weight. It, it actually means very, very little. Exactly. Yeah. The question, why do you want to lose weight? And then you start to think about, well, I'll be, I'll have more energy. I'll be more vital. I'll be able to, like you say, pick up my kids and run around and do all these things that mm. starts to become so evocative. It almost infuses the body with the, yeah. the will and the desire to change. And it makes it safe and appropriate on a um, neurophysiological level. Yeah. So it's really important. And it, it also means that we, we often talk about, well, people often talk about health coaching as being a distinct practice which it certainly can be mm. but i think it's also something that can infuse other clinical practices there's no reason why a dietitian a nutritionist a doctor a physio can't be a great health coach in fact i think they'll be far more effective because they'll have the tools sure but they'll mm. also engage in a process that's far more powerful for the client absolutely i mean yeah i think that is something you know a basic skill that all practitioners should should have to dive into a little bit so you, you sort of mentioned that, um, that there maybe are different standards out there for health coaching mm -hmm. and without sort of running anyone down, I don't want to do that at all. But what, what do you, what, in your opinion, what makes a legitimate health coaching? And I guess within the same breath, why does health coaching get such a bad rap? Um, for me, I think that being a legitimate health coach I mentioned that, you know, the time factor, it does involve a bit of training and by a bit of training, I'm talking six months to a year <laughs> yeah. uh, to be, you know, getting that practicum, getting that experience under the support of somebody, a teacher or an expert in the area. It's the theory, it's that behavioral psychology, it's that, um, you know, learning how to ask the right questions. This is, this is health coaching as opposed to, I guess, 
health coaches that are more considering themselves a wellness expert. And so they might be an expert potentially on a certain product, or they might feel that they're an expert in a certain area, but they're actually just, yeah. I mean, they're calling themselves a health coach, but they're considering themselves a wellness expert. So they're not actually going potentially through a lot of training or they are crossing the line to what would be out of their scope of practice. So they might yeah. be prescribing potentially a diet for somebody who has a medical condition. I see that quite often um, with health coaches out there who are prescribing or, you know, just working outside their scope. And, and that's not what we're here to do as health coaches. We're here to say, ask those powerful questions to, yeah, to weave in a bit of our expertise as well, but ultimately we're there to support them with the goals that they're coming with us to achieve. Yeah. And I guess because of that, you know, a lot of health organizations like the American Medical Association have started to recognize the, the value of health coaching mm. to public health. Um, because of those types of shifts, we're starting to see registering bodies in Canada, the US, and now in Australia and New Zealand. So, yeah, and that's I, a big part of it too, yeah. Absolutely, and I, I can see it becoming like nutrition, you know, which in New Zealand and Australia is relatively unregulated, yeah. but we do have registering bodies. So there's a big difference between, say, being you know someone who calls themselves a self calls mm. themselves a nutritionist without a, a qualification. Mm. Uh, versus someone who's qualified and registered with, with one of the three registering bodies in New Zealand. So uh, I, I can really see it going that way. Yeah. Um, and I guess there's a bit of a, a pitch in there as well, because we have a health coaching course which you have <laughs> developed, um, and that's just rolling out yeah. uh, now um, to, to sort of provide a track within our Certified Holistic and Performance Nutrition Coach program for people to also come out as, as health coaches with a course that you've developed and an internship with you, which is pretty cool. I think it's really important. I mean, I know it's really important because like you say, uh, there can, it can be dangerous to work with a health coach who is working outside their scope and not registered within a governing body. And, you know, I think that it, I'm, I'm glad I'm seeing that there are going to be different standards of health coaching and there's going to be these recognized health coaches out there because it is a viable skill and it's not something that you can just do. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I think it's great that there are going to be now some options here in New Zealand and in Australia to, to register as a, a certified health coach. And I, I was actually quite surprised at how in depth that training did need to be. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly yeah. the in-person, like the internship sort of model. Um, that, that's pretty substantial. So I, I think when people are registered with um, the Health Coach Association in New Zealand, Australia, people could be pretty, pretty certain that that practitioner has, you know, is very credible and has done the work. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like you say, it's not something you can put, well, we would say in North America that you can get a Cracker Jack box. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's something that is going to take time and some practicum and some training, but you're going to be able to potentially change some lives when you get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And well worth it. You know, I, um, I, I keep coming back to the surprise that I had in, in, in two aspects really one was how effective health coaching as a standalone modality can be 
because it's it is an evidence-based modality that is based on fundamentals of positive psychology behavioral change behavioral psychology you know all those various things um <clears throat> but also how much overlaps with with known best practice in in clinical work and particularly from the mind body realm but it hadn't really been tied together so I think, you know, with the coaching movement and particularly in business growing and providing a lot of the groundwork for this, and then that being translated into health and taking on a lot of those best practice clinical models to put it into a cohesive structure, it's, it's pretty powerful. Um, and, you know, I've probably gone from being someone who was quite skeptical to a pretty big advocate for health coaching. Well, I mean, in New Zealand, there's now um, health coaches that are, they're, they're working towards having a health coach in all medical centers, along with the health improvement practitioners. So all medical centers in New Zealand will have this, this extra um, person that is there or people that will be there to support them as a health coach, as a health improvement practitioner. I mean, that's huge, you know. Uh, I was visiting a few medical centers this week and already they've got their full-time health coach that is there with them working in the practice. So uh, I would assume that these people would need to be registered and certified. And it's obviously showing the value that health coaching is having, having how it's growing. And, you know, I'd say it's seen as a science in itself. And yeah, I think it's just really going to take off. Yeah, I I agree. And I mean, it, it must be really interesting for you really being within that journey as this field in health is, is really growing. Mm-hmm. Now you said you've, you've been doing this for about seven years. I know that you had studied a lot beforehand, you know, education, teaching, those types of things, philosophy. I, I <laughs> was philosophy, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but it's been about seven years. You've actually been in the health field. Yeah. You've achieved some pretty extraordinary success in that time. Um, you know, you've gained, a lot of visibility you've got a lot of a lot of clients you're involved in um, a lot of different collaborations for coursework and consultancy and speaking and all sorts of things what do you attribute that success to oh it sounds so cliche but hard work <laughs> yeah. honestly um and I, I like that kind of cliche though <laughs> Um, nothing woo woo there just real hard work but for me it was putting myself out there as well which wasn't always something that I was comfortable doing and you know I can remember in those beginning stages of of growth actually going out introducing myself to the lady that worked at the health food store having my card with me wherever I went uh, you know just bringing up what I did in conversation with people and then teaching classes was really the big stepping stone for me that was what you know doing little workshops you know in the local bin in and and um that was probably my biggest contributor at the beginning to really getting that ball rolling and to start to um begin to you know have some clients and then work in that area so putting myself out there which was uncomfortable and and still uncomfortable but i still do it anyway and you know that's really had the biggest impact for sure and yeah, it's it's still it's it's a constant journey, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it reminds me a lot of uh, the, the way that you sort of got out there and met people and connected, but did it authentically. Reminded me a lot of um, our our friend Sol Orwell, yeah. who hands and kissing babies and. <laughs> yeah, well, I I mean, honestly, I think he's one of the best connectors 
in the mm. game and it's because he's authentic about it he you know he genuinely likes people he likes connecting with them he's interested in what you're doing and i, I found the same sort of thing with you you're genuinely interested in what people were doing genuinely passionate about the industry and i guess at that point it comes down to getting out of your own way and actually just doing it right no matter how scary it can be same thing with speaking that's the big thing is just getting up on stage and and allowing yourself to be scared yeah yeah well that's the thing i always say you know like if i allowed fear or anxiety to to get in the way i wouldn't have been able to get anything done i've got i would have got nothing done <laughs> yeah. i would still be probably school teaching and unhappy um but yeah you sort of got to feel the fear and do it anyway i always liked your uh, advice when I get really nervous about something I try to pretend that I'm excited because you said the feeling was the same and so I know when I did my TEDx talk I was like just really excited I'm just really even though you know I was ready to throw up <laughs> yeah. I want to throw up with excitement um, but yeah no but honestly that was always really great advice so feeling the fear doing it anyway and working hard is, is how I built up my coach health coaching um, practice for sure yeah, well, I certainly can't take credit for that. That was, um, I think that originally came via Amy Cuddy. I think that's her name, who was involved in sort of behavioral research and did a lot of the power posture type stuff. <clears throat> but one of the studies that she talked about was where people tried to relax before a speaking event. And it didn't really work. They actually ended up getting more wound up because they were trying to suppress this, this natural feeling the body's going to respond by saying, hold on, we've got something important to do here. And it keeps ramping up the stress response. Mm -hmm. Whereas to um, actually start to think about this is exciting. You know, I'm going to have fun up in front of all these people and stuff like that. That actually modulated the stress response. So people were less stressed because they were excited. Yeah. It's almost as if the mind body complex then starts to think about the challenge of this opportunity rather than the threat that you're trying to suppress. Yeah, totally. No, it works. It's pretty cool stuff. So, <laughs> Given all that, looking back over your, your time and practice now, is there anything that you've learned that you, you might have done differently or any sort of mistakes you maybe made that you could pass on to people entering the industry now? Um, I honestly, it's a tough one because I'm a firm believer that every mistake I make leads to the path that I'm on now. I sort of really do... Cool embrace every mistake i've made in my life i don't regret them because i know that they sent me in the direction that i am now um, yeah i think the biggest thing for me the biggest lesson i i've had to learn and i continue to to have to deal with is is overdoing it and sort of pushing and pushing and working and being you know on the phone and look all night answering things on facebook not all night but you know into the late hours and you know, thinking about work all the time because I was passionate about it and I was excited about it. And I was not saying no to things that I probably should have at the beginning. And I did get really burnt out and it's been probably still a couple of years of trying to crawl back out of that. So, you know, being less productive because of being too productive <laughs> is sort of the outcome of that. So it's uh, definitely pacing yourself and, and, you know, setting boundaries for yourself and just really um, having that balance and that downtime again, as mm. so cliche as that sounds that you need balance, but you really do because when you're, oh, oh no, sorry about that. It's going to be annoying. There we go. 
I don't know how to turn that off. That's like the mystery of the Facebook <laughs> computer. And I don't know anybody that does. So we can talk about that after if you know how. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that's my biggest lesson is that just taking too much on and um, not pacing myself. And yeah, that would be the biggest thing. An interesting one, because I think it's a fine line. And I was going to say, you know, maybe you're the victim of your own success. But I think it's almost as if you're, by you, I mean us, yeah. lots of people who do this yes people whether we can sometimes be the victim of the tools of our success you know and often think about in growing up uh, my old man was a real he's really good at getting getting shit done right he's a yes yeah. kind of guy so he um <clears throat> after the 87 crash he was a sparky he's a tradesman and everything was going bust around him yeah. and so he thought we we need to i need to do something so i can keep putting food on the table for my kids so he started up a little printing company because hmm. it was one of the few things it was a new emerging industry and it was one of the few things that he could actually get financing to do and he knew it would be a cash flow industry anyway so he he had this idea he'd do that he'd start printing business cards and things like that at the time on photocopiers you couldn't print business cards but as an example people would come in and say oh could, could you make some business cards and he'd say yeah i reckon and he'd figure out how to do it, right? He didn't know how to do it, but he'd end up modifying the machine, tooling around with it, and was the first person in New Zealand, at least, to be putting commercial business cards through photocopiers. Wow, right. And he had that whole mentality of he would always say yes if there was even a vague possibility that it could be done. And I think I sort of took that on as part of my ethos just by being around it. And that's a really positive thing because like when you were getting into the industry, you're just like, well, I'm going to get it done. Yeah. I'm going to take these opportunities, even if it feels uncomfortable. But I think there comes a point as well where, where we can realize that we've said yes to too many things. Yeah. Or maybe we have really overextended because we possibly should have said no to certain things as well. So yeah. it's kind Funny. of that double-edged sword, right? Yeah. Yeah. Come in and you sort of, you sort of figure it as you go on. I think the longer you're in it, you do start to get better at saying yes to the right things and no to the things that are, are just not so much that they're the wrong things, but when you've already got too much on and just that's more the time, the time um, thing. Yeah. yeah. I think you become a lot better at just quite quickly looking at the, the cost to benefit for you. Mm. Because, you know, from what I can see, there are so many exciting things that I want to be doing. Yeah. But the reality is I can't do them all. So I need to sort of choose those ones that are really exciting and, you know, we'll put food on the table for us and we'll also, you know, be congruent with my ethos and values. Cause those aren't, that's not always the same either. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's one big thing that I've always brought into the coaching practice, which I was, you know, a, again, I found really meshed well with health coaching as I was learning about that was that idea that it needs to be congruent with your ethos and values because Things can be exciting and you might say, yeah, that's cool. I'm going to do that. And then three months in, you realize, actually, this is not congruent with my deeper core values. So you become, you know, very resistant to it. If you kind of know that in the, in the, at the outset, then obviously you've got a much better metric for making decisions. Yeah, absolutely. So given that, um, what, what advice would you give a young budding health practitioner someone either entering the industry or wanting to enter into the industry now are there, are there some gems that you could give them just i mean as far as building up that that business it is is it's not being afraid to 
get out of your comfort zone and to to talk about yourself and what you do. I mean, we're so used to, I guess we're a type of people that don't really want to talk about ourselves or don't want to brag about ourselves. It's not that you're bragging, but just being, you know, being willing to, to shake somebody's hand and to go to those, you know, networking events, which may be uncomfortable, but to actually talk to people in person. I think there's a lot of value that, in that face-to-face connection, that actual mm. in-person connection, that I think a lot of people are, they're sort of pushing it away now. It's sort of the, everything's online nowadays, which I know we're in a pandemic and that's what seems to be happening. But in general, I think a lot of young people are just focusing on the social media, media side of things and the online side of things. My advice would be to get out there and to shake some hands and to introduce yourself and to do the talks and to do the speaking and to do the education and just have your business card with you to actually, because some of my biggest connections, my biggest, I should say, my biggest opportunities have come from a face-to-face meeting and uh, they could be very random. So it could be that you're just having a conversation with someone on a plane and you know you start talking about what you do and that leads to something bigger i mean my ambassadorship with the benin was all because i made a friendship by introducing myself to the owner of the local benin and talking to her about what i did and offering to do some classes so yeah i think it's a lost art (laughs) i think people do need to try to get out there and to talk and to meet people and to connect like say saul is really good at that and um, not so much focus on just social media, but actually to get out and to meet somebody. Yeah, absolutely. So what are, um, some of the biggest problems or challenges that you see in the health and nutrition field at the moment? Do you, do you, is one of them that move to that sort of rush to online or do you think that's just a symptom of what we're going through at the moment? Um, and if that's not a major problem, what do you see as being some of the big, big challenges from your perspective in health and nutrition? Uh, as a, as a practitioner or as a patient? Um, either really what, you know, in terms of your view of the industry, what do you see as being some of those, um, those big challenges? Obviously I have my ideas on what I think are the bigger problems at the moment. Yeah. Well, it's a hard one because well, I don't know if you've ever seen, there's a new documentary called The Social Dilemma. And I wonder now sometimes if my Facebook news feed and social media Facebook is, feed is filtered to what I'm into as so I'm yeah. only seeing that. Um, but obviously because I'm in that intuitive eating, um, you know, non-diet approach sort of sphere, I'm seeing a lot of people that are struggling with, uh, you know, their relationship with food, especially during this pandemic. So a lot of people who are stuck at home, maybe they're in lockdown and there was a lot of overeating and there was a lot of comfort eating and a lot of just what's the point because Mm. what's going on. So, you know, all that uncertainty. And so it's affecting their relationship with food. And that's probably the biggest thing I'm seeing right now. And then there's obviously the flip side of, okay, well then I'm going to go really strict and I'm going to go really hard because I've been off the wagon for too long. And, but like I said, I don't know if that's because that's the area that I sort of follow. I mean, the, the pandemic is obviously putting a lot of stress on people. And so that being said, to be honest, probably mental health is the biggest the biggest issue at the moment. I mean, a lot of yeah. people are struggling with their mental health and that can relate to food and to relationship with food, of course, but 
you know, especially um, through COVID and through this lockdown, this pandemic and that uncertainty, there is um, a lot of division, a lot of mental health issues happening, a lot of more people needing support. So yeah, I think it's going to segue into that. I think mental health is the biggest thing affecting our health in general at the moment. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would agree. And I think um, the, the point sort of you make meshes quite well with that idea that you and I have talked about quite a bit before. And that idea that I spoke about at your conference um, down, down in New Plymouth mm-hmm. about that idea of going beyond health, because I think, you know, even the, the sort of symptom of having a, a poorer relationship with food, Mm. I say symptom because I, I really believe that's a symptom of something else. Mm. You know, it's a okay. symptom of our fixation on, on certain things that are not actually the key. Mm. You know, the key being that we, we want to live, we all want to live happy, healthy lives, but there's different reasons for that behind the scenes. Yeah. And I think if we can, I hope at least that through this sort of, challenge that we're going through at the moment we can really start to reassess how we live how we structure economies mm-hmm. you know everything really it's a big it's a big job but i think we've got an opportunity to really start to restructure things into a system that's more conducive to creativity passion and purpose because we pe- yeah sorry where, where people have those a lot of the day-to-day stuff becomes a lot less pressing you know, you don't, you typically don't have the same drivers of a poor relationship with food when you have really strong, creative driven purpose in your life. Yeah. I mean, I talk about, as you now talk about it all the time with the, the medicine wheel and Tifare Tapafa and all of this. I mean, you know, it goes right down the world health organization that health is more than just the body, but it's that social and mental and Um, emotional health and everything and I think that's why health coaches are going to be more and more important because there's this holistic aspect to it of the other connectors they may not see it they may not see that well actually it's it's that they have to set some boundaries potentially with their partner or their sister-in-law um, for that to then positively affect their eating habits you know because they're stress eating because they're upset at their their sister-in-law or whatever it may be, but a health coach might be able to see that bigger picture and ask the right questions and be able to, you know, connect the dots for somebody, which is going to be really powerful. And I think they'll be needed more and more um, in the aftermath or the continuation of what's going on at the moment. I agree 100%. And, you know, the, um, the, there's two aspects to that. I think people often think about the support of health and the support of, you know, health into happiness, I guess, as almost being a less than when you compare it to the clinical. Mm. But let's face it, the clinical is is smaller. It's the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. Mm. Prevention, support, all those various things are, are, are critically important to having a healthy society. But more than that, there's also an opportunity which is not often talked about because we talk about in terms of scopes of practice, support of health and performance, all these various things, right? I think there's a bigger opportunity there as well. It's about the achievement of optimal human potential or as close as we can because that's not pathology and it's something that we don't talk about enough and it's something that we don't research enough. 
And that's why, as you know, that's one of the areas that I really want to push into with research is, yes, we need to do the pathology stuff. And I'm really fascinated in, uh, you know, with, with that. Mm. But we also need to look at what can we do to help people to just be more resilient, more vital, healthier, happier overall, mm. but with the idea not just of an arbitrary goal of health, but to be, you know, more amazing individuals. Mm, in whatever yeah. that means for the individual because it's there's no right or wrong answer yeah. i just feel like if we have more creative passionate people in the world we're going to have better solutions for the really serious problems that the world faces yeah absolutely yeah so what we'll sort of tie this up by we've talked a little bit about health coaching and some of the real opportunities there mm. maybe some of the things that are going on at the moment that provide a bit of a challenge to that what are you most optimistic about at the moment in, in the the world of health and nutrition? Oh my, that's a good question. What am I most optimistic about? What do you see as the big opportunities? Oh. Like I said before, I really do think that there's an opportunity for health coaches to come in and connect the dots for people. And I do think that this model of you know, health being body, mind, spirit, heart is starting to become more and more um, a part of that definition of what health is. And I know that, you know, with these health coaches that are now in medical centers, you know, that's the whole idea that if somebody goes to their doctor and say, well, actually, I'm having a really hard time with my spouse at the moment, the doctor yeah. goes, go talk to the health coach, you can help potentially support you through that. Or, you know, they're, they're looking at how everything's connected. I think that interconnectedness is where we're moving and knowing that one thing affects the other affects the other. And it's going to be such a powerful thing for a health coach to be able to help that person realize how these things connect and to make some significant change. Like you say, if, if somebody is like, I know if I'm doing something really creative or something that I love, like if I'm maybe I'm drawing or I'm in a painting class or whatever, because I love that sort of thing, or even cooking or whatever, I'm not thinking about, you know, I'm not craving food at that time. I'm not craving, um, you know, a Snickers bar because I'm too into what I'm doing and I'm enjoying it. And it's filling me up and I'm not stressed and I'm not thinking about, you know, it's, it's just the more we do, I mean, I've used this quote all the time, you know, live the life you crave and food will lose its power. And I think that that's mm. an important thing where health coaches can be both a life coach and support people with their health. And that's when that's all going to start to piece together. I think it's a, it's a really exciting time. I think it's more people are going to be seeking out health coaches in the aftermath of this. And I think that's such an opportunity to really shift some minds and shift some health. And um, yeah, it'd be interesting yeah. to see where it's going to go. That's such a great way to look at it that really um that really resonates with me because as you know i work a lot with um with cancer patients yeah. and one of the things that we often discuss is this idea that we none of us know what's going to happen you know and i always say well you know i'm in great health right i could walk out the door and get hit by a bus i just don't know what's going to happen but yeah <laughs> and none of us do hope that, that doesn't happen but you know what i'm saying is that it can be so fleeting, but the, the future is so indeterminate that th there's one thing we do know though, and that's what we're doing now, mm -hmm. you know? And so I often talk with them about that idea of, well, let's not worry about 
like so much about beating this thing or like, you know, getting the bogeyman because the bogeyman is actually part of you. Mm-hmm. It's part of your body. That's why I never really meshed with the fuck cancer campaign. Because mm. to me, that was kind of like saying, well, fuck some of the cells in my body. And that's not really cool. Like I'd rather say, let's, let's love every cell and tissue in my body. Mm-hmm. But the idea is then we can start to live right now in the manner that we mean to in five or 10 or 20 years, Mm. right? What's that best case life scenario you have? Well, let's just start to live as close to that as we can right now, rather than I've got to beat this thing now in order to live that way later. Or like we see with, sorry, with weight loss. Yeah. I was just going to say the same thing. Yeah. I'm going to get into this shape so that I can live a good life. It's like, well, live a good life and you'll probably end up in the shape that you're supposed to be in. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And you know, don't wait five kgs from now to get the haircut or the massage or the new outfit or to go and, you know, get outside. Go to the beach, yeah. Beach, like just go now. Because like you say, you could walk out the door and get hit by a bus. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> then what? Oh, you know, I wish I'd done that, you know, years ago. Yeah. The, the final thing that I thought of when you were um, discussing that before, which really resonated is because this has happened to me and it's, I've had a lot of people recently contact me with basically the same story that I've experienced, which is of going to the doctor with, with a, with a problem. You know, you've, you've got a problem. That's why you go to the doctor and I'm not beating up on doctors. I love doctors. They've saved my life. So I'm a big fan of the medical community, Mm -hmm. but sometimes when you go to a, a, an expert in that position, they only have a, a, a particular toolkit. And that's fine because that's their toolkit. <clears throat> but sometimes, sorry? In a very short time. Exactly. And that's one of those big things. And so, for example, I've been to the doc and I've had particular problems. And we've had a whole bunch of tests done. The tests come back normal because I'm overall a, a healthy, robust kind of dude. And <laughs> so what do they say? Oh, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. It's like, that's disempowering because I've come to you because I've got a challenge. Mm. The fact that the particular tools that you use and the tests that you've done show no abnormalities doesn't mean that there's not still a challenge for me. It's mm. just, it's not a challenge that's probably within your scope or you haven't identified the, the issue yet. So I sort of saw when you were talking about in medical centers, having a health coach there, that would be the kind of person who probably has a little bit more time to sit down and actually explore what those underlying challenges might be to either work with that person as a guide or recognize where there might be further scope for referral as well. So it's, it's really powerful and people don't realize the power of that, having that connector there who can connect out to different people or take that person Mm. and help to connect with them and help them to connect with what's most important. Yeah, they really are. They are a connector, I guess, in lots of ways, health coaches, aren't they? Yeah. And I think that's a model that any of us in health practice can take on more. And if we're doing well in practice, we should be doing that a lot anyway. Mm. You know, I, I love having got to a point in in my career now where if someone basically having the security in a lot of different facets where if someone comes to me and I know that it's just not the right fit, maybe it's outside of scope, maybe it's within scope, but it's still not quite right. Or maybe there's someone just better at that kind of stuff. Just refer on straight away. Yeah. And it's, it's so powerful that way we can all get stronger, you know, give the best results to the clients. And 
that's, uh, I know I'm rambling here, but that's also one of the things um, I meant to mention before. With young practitioners coming in, they'll often, um, you know, I, I mentor a lot of them, and they'll often say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm not at your level. And I sort of say, well, you're probably not at my level for some things because you simply don't have the experience that I've had, or maybe you haven't studied the particular things that I have. But there are areas in which you're way above me. You've got a way higher level in certain things. Like TikTok. What was that? Like TikTok. TikTok, exactly. <laughs> and, and that could be it. You know, some of the young practitioners coming in have got their their connection and communication game on point. You know, they've got hundreds of thousands of followers and oh, good on them. You know, that's great. But there are always things that people can do better. Mm-hmm. There are always things that are unique right? And so there are always people who are going to mesh with a a practitioner better just because there's a personality match there. And that's great because that opens up opportunities. You know, it's not about there's an arbitrary hierarchy of, you know, this qualification equals that level of fit for a client. That's, that's rubbish. Yeah. And I think that's another um, good point. And for young practitioners to start thinking about is an area that they could consider their niche an area that they're really passionate about because again then you sort of you have that area people come to you for or you can get referred from or you know and it's just you start to you know you keep upskilling and learning more about that area um trying to take it all on and you might do that at the first to figure out what's you know what's more important to you but yeah yeah and you certainly can't try and be everything to everyone. Not for long. <laughs> I was offered a, a speaking gig this morning and someone said, oh, you'd be a great fit for this. And I looked at the conference and said, look, I'm not a great fit for that. I, I know almost nothing about that. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And that's it. That's when you get to that point where you're like, do I want to talk for an hour about something that I'm not actually a good fit for, you know, or yeah. is that going to be a stressful experience for me or a boring experience for me or whatever. And the, the feeling you get as well, I think, from saying, you know what, that I'm not the right fit, but I know who is. Mm. Like, that's great to be able to, you know, help. You're helping two people then. You're helping yeah. the, the client. You're helping the other practitioner. Yeah. We always feel, I know it's um, probably a slightly mercenary way to look at the act of giving, but hey, mm. we know that we usually feel better by giving rather than receiving. I do it all the time. I mean, I do. I get a lot of people that want, uh, come to me, maybe they want a meal plan or they want, you know, they have um, strict, you know, they want macros and that sort of thing. And that's just not my jam. I'm more yeah. about my relationship with food and getting more veggies and just making peace with yourself, all of that sort of stuff. So I send them to you or to Mickey or to Kirsten or I'm sending them off all the time, um, which is fine for me because I want to find those right people for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Michelle, I won't keep you any longer. It's been great chatting as per usual. Thanks for um, having a chat and we will be posting up links to the course that you've developed for the Holistic Performance Institute. So if anyone is interested in getting into health coaching, um, then we have that package available for them. Thanks for listening to the Carb Appropriate Podcast. To sign up for member-only benefits, go to cliffharvey.com. Or to learn about studying to become a nutrition coach, health coach, or clinical or sports nutritionist, go to holisticperformance.institute.